I got to give this one away because I thank God for what we have. And I'm going to tell you something that sounds odd. Your first bullet point at the top of your list, I'm going to give it to you right now. That first bullet point word that goes in there is opposition. Because are we not up against some opposition this morning? Technicalities, software, hardware, I don't know what's going on. I sat in the back for about 40 minutes trying to figure it out. Greg and I, just we just couldn't understand why we're not getting an output to these TVs in the back. So you know what we said? Well, I told myself, I was like, I praise God right now for opposition because I'm going to be speaking on some of that today. So I thought, you know, what better way to start the message? So even children's ministry ran into a technical difficulty. We couldn't get something going over there either. It was like, wow, okay, God. Got it. Message loud and clear. We're in the rebuilding season because we're facing opposition. And that's what we're going to talk about. So last week we talked about rebuilding. And, okay, so I've got 35 minutes here to try to, I, I, my goal all, all the time is going to try to be to get done by 11 so that you can have the rest of your Sunday. We come in here, we learn God's word, we learn God's truths, we hear these things, and then we go out into the world and we express them and we begin to live them and we begin to practice them and they become principles in our life. Amen. So, I'm going to give you a quick recap because it was pretty neat, and a lot of you guys were really encouraged by this last week. I'm going to draw for you one more time that biblical timeline that we talked about. Remember the split? goes here, goes to here. you got this little gap of time, and then this here. So, if you remember what I showed you guys about back here, it's 2100. This is Abraham, 1500. You had Moses right here around 1,000. You had Saul, David. Then in 930... What happened? The kingdom split. Okay, you remember we talked about this. The kingdom splits in 930. Up here in 722, these guys go to Assyria, the northern kingdom. They go to Assyria. There's no biblical record of them ever returning. Assyria sent people back to live in the land, and we're going to read about those people. So that's why the original story of the Good Samaritan is Samaria was actually in the nation, the full country of Israel. But during this time, Samaria was full of Jews. But during the later time when Jesus said the parable of the Good Samaritan, there was not Jews living in the land. There was Assyrians and other races. So then what happened here? Uh, i got to remember my date. 586. Somewhere around 586, Jerusalem and the temple are completely destroyed. There's a 70-year exile. They come back. They come back before the 70 years. A few people came back before the 70 years, but the rebuild finally takes place and finishes around 516, 515 B.C. Okay? So, last week we talked about what caused all this. Okay? We went over some good bullet points. We talked about following the instructions of the Lord to the letter because Solomon's heart turned away from God. He took it to foreign wives. And what happened? The kingdom was punished for it. Uh, we talked about not taking counsel from the wrong people. When Solomon's son took counsel from his friends instead of taking counsel from the elders who had been giving counsel to his father, right? We talked about not continuing to stray from God because what happened? I already told you. There was about 1920 kings right here because this is a period of about 200 years. 1920 kings, generations, okay? What happened? All of these kings did evil in the Lord's sight. And only a few of these kings did good in God's sight. Only a few of them had reform. But the, but the remainder of them, these were the kings of Judah, they also did evil in the Lord's sight. 
So we talked about not waiting until it's too late, because what happened when they strayed away from God? Exile, exile. That's what happened, okay? And we talked about the difference of what they didn't do and what we need to do constantly is that we need to repent just as David did. Because David committed some pretty atrocious sins here, but David's response to his sin was repentance. Amen? David repented over Bathsheba, and David repented over the census. Saul did not repent, and we know what happened with Saul, and Solomon did not repent. And we know what happened to the division of the kingdom there, okay? So we got to learn to repent just as David did. Now, I've got 30 minutes to do a seven-week sermon in 30 minutes. Because I looked at all this information, and I'm like, I could roll this out for six, seven weeks. Like, I would have there will come a time where we're going to go slower through both of these books, Ezra and Nehemiah. But today we're going to go through them pretty accelerated because I had two weeks to talk about a rebuild. So I had to do a destruction and now a rebuild in one week. Okay? So we're going to fly through this. This is the satellite view of what's going on in Ezra and Nehemiah. Later we're going to do a ground level view where we'll take some time and go through the books. Amen? Okay. So a little history here. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah were written around here. Okay? This is the return. And Ezra wrote the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, and technically, they are one book. They were divided into two, but they're one book. Okay, Ezra and Nehemiah was actually one book split into two to talk about the, from Ezra and Nehemiah. So, Ezra was the author of a few books. Uh, Ezra also did First and Second Chronicles, okay? First and Second Chronicles only talk about the kings of Judah. First and Second Kings cover both Israel, and Judah, okay? So Ezra's focus was on the kingdoms of Judah. Okay, the book was written, so Ezra and Nehemiah was written for the returning remnants. This group of people that came back here from Babylonian captivity, these were the remnants, okay, that came back. This book, those two books were written to these people. So uh, the historical purpose of the books was to talk about the rebuilding of what happened here, about the rebuild of rebuilding the kingdom, Okay? Uh, the main teaching of the book is to show, I wrote it here in my notes, to show the faithfulness of God to keep his covenant, and Mark always talks about a covenant cut with blood, to keep his covenant promise to Judah, not Israel, to Judah. And what was the promise? David, I'm going to create a king through your bloodline, okay, that coming Messiah. And you guys remember what I told you this little blip was right here, like, you had all this time, back here was creation, all this is happening, Abraham, Moses, all these guys, this is your Old Testament, this is also your Old Testament, all your prophets took place in these major and minor prophets, the only difference was the length of their book, there's no difference between a major prophet and a minor prophet except the length of their book, this right here, this smidgen, is the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, and then this little tiny guy right there I told you is your New Testament, that's everything that happened in the New Testament in that short little blip of time. Okay, so the Christological purpose of these books I wrote here is that God promised a Messiah through the line of David, which I just told you, who would one day reign as king. This book, these books show how God kept his promise. Okay, so number one was opposition will appear, and it appeared today. Okay, and before we can rebuild, we have to be prepared, and we are rebuilding. Take a look around this room. We are rebuilding. 
If you think this week's exciting and you thought last week was exciting, come for the next few weeks. It's going to continue to get more and more exciting. We are rebuilding, okay? With new troops, we're building up. We're raising up warriors with the armor of God. Amen? I'm fired up right now. I am so fired up right now, I can't tell you. Okay, so the first opposition that they faced in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, the first opposition that they faced was the opposition of rebuilding the temple. Temple, that's your note, temple. I'm going to cheat here because I, I do it in my notes. Everything is capitalized so I know what the fill-in words are so that way I can say them out loud because you don't have them up there. Opposition will appear, opposition of the temple. We're going to start with Ezra 4, 1 through 5. I'm going to read it here. If you want to follow along in your Bible, I'm going to go really fast, but I'd like you to try. Ezra 4, 1 through 5. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do. And we have sacrificed to him since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel said to them, You may do nothing with us to build this house. You may do nothing with us to build a house for our God, but we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Here's opposition. Then the people of the land tried to discourage them, uh, tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building. And if you really read these books, they like put pressure on them. They were complaining, doing this, threats, death threats. Imagine, the Bible's only giving you a little snippet of that it troubled them. But we live in a real world where we can understand what kind of trouble they must have been facing. We live in a world right now where our country's spit, split politically. We're, we're just, we're so, we live in such a divisive world right now that you can understand when I use this word that they were troubled in their rebuild. They were troubled in their rebuild. They faced true opposition. It says uh, they troubled them in building. They hired counselors against them, so they were trying to sue them. They were trying to do everything to stop them. Uh, they, they hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of the king. Uh, per, uh, Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So that entire king's reign, Cyrus. Cyrus was the guy who let these guys come back. Okay? Cyrus let these guys come back. They were stopped every bit of the way. An entire king's lifetime. An entire king's reign. The rebuild took many years. Many years. So, the second thing that they were opposed against, there was opposition of rebuilding the city. First was the temple, then came the city. Ezra 4, 16. We inform the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls are completed, the result will be that you will have no dominion beyond the river. That would have been the basically, if I showed you, remember Israel, we talked about the river right here. That's the Jordan River, and Babylon was out here. So he's saying, they rebuild this city right here and put the walls up, you're going to have no dominion past this line. When you say something like that to a king who's power hungry, what do you think that does with him? Hey, you let those guys build a wall, you're going to have no power there. 
and kings were just power hungry. So that stopped the building. So let's take a look at some things that happened. The, those two were from the book of Ezra. Those were the historical documents of what was going on. But we're going to look now at Nehemiah. Okay? We need to take the proper steps to rebuild. There were proper steps that went into place that were God-ordained that this is the actions that have to take place. And we are in a rebuild. So let's talk about what the first one was. The first thing that happened before any of this building took place was prayer and intercession. Prayer and intercession. The first expression of a Christian on mission is to pray. Amen? How often do you do that? Okay, good, Mike. Mike's on track. I'm up here speaking, and there's days that opposition pops up in my life, and my first response sometimes is not prayer. That is why I'm reading this to you. I read this great statement. Expository preaching is when a concept or an idea which contains a subject and a compliment, subject being a question, compliment being an answer, when then through historical context, taking these scriptures not out of context but in their context, putting it grammatically, literary, taking it, the Holy Spirit works on a preacher and goes through his experiences and life experiences before he can come up here and share it with you. Everything you ever hear anybody share up here that they come from the heart passionately for you to get, they have dealt with or they are dealing with. That's where it's coming from, right? We don't just sit there and go, I think they need to hear this. It's not what happens. It's not how this works. Okay, so... We need to take the proper steps. Prayer and intercession. The first expression of a Christian on mission is to pray. Nehemiah began with intercession for the people. Book of Nehemiah, chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, which I, pray, uh, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of your Israel servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. That's how intercession began. Nehemiah's first thing before starting anything was he prayed. And he prayed over the sins of the people because there was a lot of sinning going on. That was the first step. Now, Nehemiah was a layman in the king's house in Babylon, and that basically meant he was kind of like a, uh, you know, he'd be one of those guys in our house committee, okay? He was a voice, and he's the guy that got sent back to oversee this. Ezra was a priest. So the second thing, under a, that was 2A, take the proper steps, prayer and intercession, letter B, investigation of the city. So basically, when you say investigation in the city, for me, that means let's take an inventory, a healthy one. Right now, this church family, we are taking an inventory of what, we're taking a look at what we've got to work with. Amen? And we're using it. And we're building on it. And that's what God's going to do. After interceding for the people through the permission of God, I like that, through the permission of God. Where did I come up with that? Well, I'm going to read it here in a second, I believe. Through the permission of God, Artaxerxes granted permission for Nehemiah to go back to Judah so that he could rebuild it. 
Nehemiah 2, verses 4 through 6, and 17 through 18, because we don't have it up there, I'm going to give you this, this snippet. Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, I like that, even when he, the king asked him, what do you request? He prayed. And then he addressed the king. If it pleases the king and your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting behind him, how long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste, and how its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them the hand of my God, which has been good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to the good work. So with the king's permission, the work began. You think they faced more opposition after that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because now it's happening. Now it's happening. Whoa. Too loud there, Chris. Nehemiah 4, 1 through 8. But it so happened when Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant. Oh, I'm sorry, you guys. That was a bullet point C. Be prepared for opposition. Be prepared for opposition. The work of the Lord never lacks attack from external or internal opposition. Nehemiah was up against Sambalot, ruler of Samaria. Remember Samaria? Here's Jerusalem, 40 miles away. There's Samaria. Pretty close, huh? Nehemiah was up against Sambalot, ruler of Samaria, who tried to stop their work. Nehemiah was also up against internal opposition from the people regarding mortgages to cover the Persian tax at the time. So there was all kinds of ways they were trying to collect and build money to do this work and this rebuild. They needed money to finance it. So Nehemiah 4, 1 through 8, but so it happened when Sambalat heard they were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. People are going to mock us. Christian on mission, praying, we're going to run into trouble, opposition, we're going to be mocked, we're going to be treated differently. I'm going to not hit this button again. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria. Ooh, man. So now you're this small people who have returned to a land. You have no army. The ruler in this area right here is talking to his army. Are you nervous? Are you anxious? Are you worried? How about this? You are scared. Even trusting God in faith, you are scared. Because there's threats. And there's somebody that doesn't want you to complete the job at hand. What are the feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heap of rubbish? Stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he'll break the stone wall down. Words of Nehemiah, hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their heads and give them as plunder to the land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall. I love that. So we built the wall anyways. Is that what we do? That's what we got to do. We do it anyways. 
You want to talk about division? I feel like this is COVID, and some of us can't come back to church. And that's okay. We love you. But it's time to return. Amen? It's time to return. If you're at home, I'm trying to tell you, it's time to return. Okay? Because all kinds of opposition has come up against us with rules and mandates. They told us we couldn't sing in here. Do you remember? They told us we couldn't sing. But guess what? We did it anyways. We did it anyways. And we didn't spread COVID in here. Amen? Okay. Woo! I'm on fire. Now it happened when Sambalay, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and gaps were beginning to be closed and they became very angry. All of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create conf uh, uh, confusion. So the threats went past the threats now. It said they attacked. The word attack, you look it up in the dictionary, it has a specific meaning. It means there was now some actual action that was hostile towards these people. Okay? Were they anxious? Worried? Nervous? No, let's try scared. Now let's try really scared because the army of Samaria, and we have no army, is attacking us. Okay? Because of what we're trying to do here. How about this question I got to ask, not my notes. Do you think they wanted to stop? Do you think there were some people who were like, hey, man, we need to stop. They're going to kill us. But there were a few people who stood in faith. Okay? They stood to the promise of the coming Messiah. And they knew that the temple was going to be rebuilt. Nehemiah 5, 1 through 5, and there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. For there were those who said, we, our sons and daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may live, eat and live. There were also some who said, we have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we might be, buy grain because of the famine. There were also those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands and vineyards. Yet now, in our, yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as the children. And indeed, we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. It is not in our power to redeem them, for men... For other men have our lands and vineyards. There was opposition going on here. This was internal opposition, again. Complaints of the people. That was a list of complaints. These are the naysayers. These are the ones who honestly couldn't care if the rebuild took place. Okay? Bullet point D. Completion of the city. Remember, we're talking about the steps. Prayer and intercession. Investigation. Being prepared for opposition. And now we're getting close to completion. Nehemiah, uh, completion of rebuilding the city. Sorry about that. Had to look back at my notes. I noticed there was two capital lettered words here. Nehemiah did more than just finish the rebuild. See, there's more things that have to take place here, okay? There are more things that have to take place once the work is done. Because the work is never done. 
My Bible says the work is done way later in the book of Revelation. Have you read it? Okay, the work is not done until he comes down and says it's done. New heaven, new earth. I got a new name on me. I'm wearing a white robe. I sit in the presence of the Lamb. That's when the work is done. It is finished. That's when the work is done. So guess what? Right now, take a look around. We got work to do. We're rebuilding. Completion of rebuilding the city. Nehemiah did more than just finish the rebuild. He discovered, if you read this, he discovered a genealogical record, and by it, he restored the people to their proper family inheritance in the land. So the people of Judah, Benjamin, and remember I believe I told you that Judah kind of swallowed up Simeon. Um, so all those people, he found this genealogical record of where these people lived. So all those families went to their proper lands. So it was more than just a rebuild. It was like putting it back in place the way it was. Okay? Nehemiah 7, 1 through 2, and then verse 73. That's a big jump, Chris, I know. Not taking anything out of context, just moving along. Then it was when the wall was built and I had hung the doors, when the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, that I gave charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hanani, and Hananiah, the leader of the citadel. For he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. So after the rebuild took place, this new leader appointed people into positions. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. This is rebuilt. I'm putting this in your head. It's like a church plant. It's almost like a church plant. Go start a new church. Build it up. Not a rebuild, but a build it up. Get it going. Build up new leadership. Everything's looking good. We get everything in place. We're part of Foursquare organization. We're going to get it set up like Foursquare. And now you're taking over. I'm trusted into your hands. Okay, amen? Verse 73. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the Nethanim, and all Israel dwelt in their cities. When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. The last step here. What should take place after all that work is done? Here's what takes place. You need to have revival. Thank you. Woo! Revival has to take place. Chris, is there an example of that? Yes, there is. That's a great question. But I'll leave all this to you to read at home. Okay? Bullet point A in the revival. First thing that took place in Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to go chapter by chapter here. In Nehemiah verse 8, the Ten Commandments were read. The book of Moses was pretty much read then. Okay? So, what happened? Do, you, do we all remember the story about the one king? who opened up the law and read everything and was like, oh my gosh, no wonder we're getting just like torn apart. We're doing everything wrong. And huge reform took place. I believe it was Josiah. Do you remember that story? If you don't, it's time to open your Bible. God's word is living and active and like a two-edged sword. It'll cut straight through you. Get into that book. There was revival 
that took place. Every time there was a king on this timeline where they reformed the city, revival took place. And usually the law of Moses was, was read. So the first thing that took place in this was revival. What does that look like, Chris? How do I apply that today? Here's how we apply it today. We rebuild this church family. We rebuild this house of God. We read God's words in all of our messages. We don't do 40 minutes of a preacher talking off of one verse. Although I can do that, and but it'll all be on the verse. We focus and read God's word. They have the Ten Commandments that were written about here. But we have the whole book and the promises and the Savior and the forgiveness. We have it all. And I hope he returns while we're here. So none of us have to experience death in the flesh. The book says he's coming back for us. You fear death? I bet you wouldn't. If you saw Jesus come out of the sky, now it'd be scary. But that fear of death would go away so quick it would make your head spin. That's the God I serve. I have promises. They had promises that were prophesied. But they did the work. And they held their faith. We have so much more. So this is what we get to read now, you guys. That's what we do for revival. We read this. It's your whole Bible, I told you. We read that. That's how revival begins. You'll read about that in Nehemiah chapter 8. Amen? Okay. What else has to take place, Chris? Great question. Next chapter, 9. The confession of the people. We are all sinners. You will not go the rest of today without sinning. Unfortunately. But I'll tell you something that I've always told a lot of people that I love, and I know that the Holy Spirit put on in my heart when I came to this truth. Are you ready? When you have Jesus, you don't become sinless, but you sin less. Amen? All right. Boy, this is good stuff. Holy Spirit's on fire today. So the confession of the people took place in Nehemiah chapter 9. Remember, we go all the way back to the beginning of the step list. First thing was prayer and intercession. And what did he pray for? He confessed the sins of the people. Now the people are confessing the sins of the people. And in that confession, you know what's taking place there? Sacrifice in the proper way that was originated from the book of Moses. Because remember, I just told you what happened right before that? They read the book of Moses. Okay. Nehemiah chapter 10. The covenant was renewed. Chris, what was the covenant we're talking about here? This coming Messiah promise. Because all the opposition that took place was overcome. So now they could believe that the promise they were given was still going to come true. Because they faced opposition. They had people tax them. They had to sell off their lands. They were under opposition. They had councils hired against them, and they were attacked. But God showed faithful, so they knew the covenant, the covenant was renewed. What happened in Nehemiah 11, one, uh, 11 and 12? Well, the cities were repossessed. 
All those people went back to live in their land. All these cities were repossessed. What does that look like today, Chris? Well, we're all going to get things to do around here. Dale shows up here during the week. Greg's first guy here on Sunday mornings. I'm up here speaking, and I go spend time at home preparing to speak. We got people working in children's ministry. Positions are repossessed. Take ownership of what God's entrusted you to do. Take ownership of what God has entrusted you to do. Okay? Show up. Trust me. You hang around me long enough, I'm going to suggest something for you to do. And I told my friend Mike last night, I was like, I don't even know it's a Holy Spirit thing, dude. You come up, hang out with me. If I, the words come out of my mouth of, hey, can you help us in this area? I already know God's got work for you now. I didn't orchestrate it. I'm just the messenger. I've, that's the way it goes. Okay, amen? We're on fire today. Nehemiah 12, the city was rededicated. <laughs> the city was rededicated. This church family is going to rededicate itself as a whole. This rebuild is taking place right now. Prayer and intercession. People have been praying over this church. The people who started this church are praying over this church. Okay? There's people who are not here who are praying over this church. Prayer and intercession took place. It's taking place at all times. We're up against technical opposition today. We're fighting through it. But we're getting, we're reading the word of God. Our covenant promise is being renewed. We're being restored, and revival is going to take place. And when all that takes place, we're going to rededicate this place. We're going to put signs outside and invite people to come in. We're going to start reaching out to people more. We're going to have outreach. We're going to do more than just show up here on Sunday morning and focus on the rebuild. Because once the rebuild takes place, we'll have the ability and the capabilities to do more. Amen? That's what's going to take place. Ooh, last one. The civil reform amongst the people. That's what takes place in the hearts of all of us. We come, we stay in here, and you want to know what's going to happen? Civil reform begins to take place. You begin to pray more. You begin to read this more. You begin to focus kingdom-minded instead of earth-minded more. You begin to see what God's doing in your life. You begin to take ownership of the areas that God entrusts into you. Reform happens in your heart. And when that takes place, reform takes place around you. Reform won't take place around you if you don't have the reform going on. Five minutes to go. Man, it was awesome. <laughs> Here you go. This is, this is the, the conclusion point. The spiritual work of revival is never complete until it has social or civil consequences. The reform that took place during Nehemiah's rebuild was life-changing. 
This put a nation back on track. A nation, mind you, that because of what happened here, never really fully, you know, they, they, never, they never were under oppression after that. You read the New Testament, guess who was in charge of Jerusalem and ruling all that area? The Romans. The Romans. They just kept getting tossed around. In fact, the nation of Israel didn't become a nation again until 19... Thank you. Yeah. Okay. They did not... They had a foot on them that whole time. But what happened during Nehemiah's rebuild was life-changing for the people. Revival took place. Prayer and intercession took place. The confession of the people. That was revival. That was revival. There's been a few revivals over the last hundred years. Revival started in this church fellowship, Foursquare International, Amy Semple McPherson. You ever heard of her? Research her. She started the movement of Foursquare. Oh, I'm not even going to go down that road. I'm going to go in the weeds. The temple was cleansed. The temple was cleansed. The Sabbath was reinforced. And all foreign wives were put away as Moses had instructed. Here's the law. Solomon broke it. Division. Back to what we were instructed to do. And why? Because under revival, A, they read the Ten Commandments. They read the law of Moses. They didn't only read the Ten Commandments. They read the entire book of Moses, the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's what they read. And they realized what was going on here. So basically, in a nutshell, they removed the sin that was going on in their hearts and in the land. And because of that, life-changing events happened. Life-changing events are going to happen in this church. But it's going to begin with the reform in our hearts, individually. And I already see it happening. That's why God's doing what he's doing around here. New faces, new people, New growth, change is coming. Amen? Okay. Wow. I had to turn the, turn the heat down here. It's flannel season, everybody. So, yeah. Yeah, I wore the wrong undershirt. I can't really take this off. Uh, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit that you put down on us, Lord. I thank you. I thank you that you spoke a message that we needed to hear, Lord. I thank you that reform is taking place. I thank you that you promise us revival. I thank you for this church family. And I'm going to keep my prayer to 18 seconds, Lord. Because I was told that 90% of the prayers in your word were 18 seconds or less. And they had more power than people who ramble for hours. So I lift up this church family to you. I lift up what we're going to do this week. I lift them all up to you in the name of Jesus. I pray reform. I pray rebuild. I pray revival. Amen.